I hope you have your Bible with you. If not, grab one and read along with me tonight as we read from John chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 30. Let us hear God's Word. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforted her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been dead for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus then said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray this evening that as you open up your word to us, that you would speak to us through it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I wonder, have you ever had your heart broken? Quite literally, some people feel such an agonizing pain emotionally when there's a, a rupture in relationship. They know exactly what it feels like to be bereft of that friendship, of that love, of that connection. Here is a picture of Jesus that shows both his divinity and his humanity. In fact, in this story, it's 
rather strange that we have Him weeping here, but not at the cross. You would expect, confronted with His own personal pain, the plight of the world, that that's where the tears would roll down His face, but not that evening. That evening was reserved for a funeral, a time of great difficulty that Jesus demonstrated a broken heart. I want to say four things very briefly tonight that hopefully will make a connection with us before Sunday. It will show us just the extent of His divine love and His capacity to love the human race. He had very much a a broken heart, which is clearly demonstrated in the shortest verse in Scripture. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Now, these were not tears that simply rolled down His face. These were not the tears that you hold back because you don't want people to see your emotions. These tears were from a troubled heart. In fact, on two occasions, it says that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And you see that in, in the preceding verses, verse 33. And you also find it again in verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved. The original Greek word that's used to describe these moments are words that try to capture a scene of of heartache, of pain, of emotional distress. This wasn't a, a Jesus who was crying crocodile tears. This wasn't a Jesus who was moved for a few seconds. This was a Jesus who was overcome in spirit. He was watching something, seeing something, experiencing something that went far beyond just a fleeting moment of sorrow or sadness. There are a number of reasons why Jesus may have been troubled by these moments. There was a huge, huge disconnect between what God had intended for the human race and what Jesus, the Son of God, walking on earth, was observing. The purposes and the plans that they had for Him and for all humanity was that they would live in harmony together, that they wouldn't experience this type of grief or sadness. But as Jesus walked among them, He was able to observe the chaos, the confusion, the fear, the disbelief, the sorrow. All of these things were now evident to him. And because of that, it brought tears from his eyes. And so we have this broken heart that is demonstrated because of the the grief of the mourners. It says here, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. And friends, that hasn't changed. Though Jesus is not only the Son of God and the Son of Man, 
The Jesus that we're worshiping tonight is no longer the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The Jesus that we're worshiping tonight is the ascended Son of God. He's gone back to be with the Father. But the world that He observes is still a world wrecked with pain and sadness and sorrow. And do not for one moment think that there's a disconnect between the ascended Jesus and your experiences in life. All the sadness, all the confusion, all the fear, all the disbelief, all the sorrow that ravages our world and that breaks our heart continues to break His too. Wherever you are watching us tonight from, whatever your home life is, whatever you're going through, Jesus understands it. He knows the extent to which you can fall. He knows the depths of sorrow and pain that you're entering into. And so He can enter into it with you, even tonight on this Good Friday. Second point is that He observed a puzzled faith, and you'll see that in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I find this verse really interesting because it sums up often my experience of God and probably your experience too. Devotion and disappointment. There can be a strange mix of both in our Christian walk with God. We can, like Mary, fall at His feet. We can worship Him with our heart, soul, and mind. How many of us come into the house of God or are sitting in our own quiet times praising God, full of love, full of devotion, full of admiration for Jesus? Our lives have been handed over to Him. Yet in the midst of all of that, we can still be overcome with disappointment. We can still have the questions that are asked almost daily of most believers. Why, Lord? Why? Why did you delay? Why did you not come when you you could have come? Do you not care? You'd heard that my brother was sick, yet you delayed. If you had simply had responded... When you were asked, my brother wouldn't be lying dead in a tomb. People here wouldn't be weeping. I wouldn't be weeping. Your actions could have brought a different outcome. I could have been saved from my grief, and yet I haven't been. And whilst I love you, I do not understand you. If only you had a Come sinner. Devotion and disappointment often can walk hand in hand. Jesus, at that point, doesn't criticize her. He simply asks her where his body is. And he goes about doing what he had always intended to do. You see, Mary's limited understanding and perspective had exasperated her grief, as it always does. 
we live in a broken world, and whilst Jesus is repairing us, if we have come to Him in faith, it's still a journey, a journey of devotion and sometimes disappointment, sometimes heartache, confusion, and upset and pain. And Jesus, in His love and in His grace and His mercy, still attends to us, just as He did to Mary that particular evening. There's another interesting perspective. And it leads me to my third point, which is not only a broken heart and a puzzled faith, but also a temporal resolution. Look at verse 37. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Is that the best they could offer? That if Jesus had just have a, had arrived on time, he could have kept this man from dying. That this Jesus who, who had so often healed the sick was unprepared to come to one of his relatives and offer healing. Surely, Jesus could have avoided, helped him avoid death if it had arrived in time. But what would that have achieved? I mean, even though Jesus was going to perform a miracle, it wasn't for the reasons they suspected. And we'll look at that in a few moments. Jesus was going to do a miracle But the reality was that Lazarus would one day die again. That he would not be delivered from death forever. But one day, because of the consequences of living in a broken world, he would have to die. The best human response offered brought a continuation of a problem not a solution to it. And Jesus knew that. Whilst he would perform a miracle in just a few moments, Lazarus would be brought back to a broken world. He would be brought back to a broken world where there would still be ruptures in relationship, where he would eventually get sick again, He'd be brought back to a world that experienced chaos and confusion and fear and disbelief and division and hatred and wars and famine and earthquake. And the best human solution that the mourners had that day was, well, you could have saved them from death. And Jesus probably thought, okay, but he's still going to have to live in this broken world and experience the grief that others are experiencing right now. You see, one day Lazarus will probably stand at someone else's gravesite and weep like you. Is that your solution to this problem? You want to hang on to life regardless of the cost? That you, 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 
you hang on to it as if it's the only option available, that you live for as long as possible on this planet with all its pain and all its heartache and all its difficulty. No, the temporal solution is going to give way to a royal miracle. I'm going to do something in a few moments that will raise the temperature of this place and the expectation and anticipation of those that are gathered around. And he performed this miracle, and I want you to watch why he was doing it. Verse 42, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And what was it? What he wanted them to do was to watch this miracle that was taking place, that he had the power to raise Lazarus from the grave. And he said, if you had trusted me, if you had fully trusted me, if you had believed in me, and the Greek word for belief means to trust in, adhere to, and rely upon. If you had done all of those things, Mary's response might have been different. She would have known that there was a reason for my delay. If she had trusted me fully, she wouldn't have been overcome with grief. But I am hoping to stimulate within those that are watching today a belief in me that transforms their life, their perspectives. That I am not the God who will simply bring someone back to a temporal life full of heartache and pain, but I'm a God who is going to transform those very lives in anticipation of an event beyond the grave. And I need to demonstrate to them by my delay that though he be dead for four days, I have so much power, I have royal power, that I can perform a miracle that no one else can possibly do. And what was that miracle? God's Word penetrated and could be heard by Lazarus even when his brain function had stopped. Can you imagine that? That's an unbelievable miracle. Here was Lazarus lying in the grave, unresponsive. He had been dead for four days, and his body was beginning to decay. The brain cells had long since stopped functioning. There were no senses. He would not have felt pain. He could not have felt emotion. There was nothing in his brain that could have stimulated a part of the body to have felt or thought anything. And yet, what is it that Lazarus hears? It is those words, come forth. Can you imagine what Lazarus must have felt like, the the, the experience that Lazarus must have gone through, that when his brain had stopped functioning, that the only words that could reach him were the words of God, come forth. And the power of that miracle was to bring to life again those functions within his brain that would give him the capacity to hear sounds 
and it would stimulate the body so that it could function, so that he could rise to his feet, and so that the stone could be rolled away, and so that he could walk out of that grave. And because Jesus was able to do that, then death itself has no victory or sting for the believer. He was about to demonstrate to all those that were watching and listening that day that I am going to do something much more than bring Lazarus back to this life to live in this broken world. I am going to show you that I can prepare you for the next, that I have the power to raise you again from the grave. I am the only one in the entire universe who can do this. And I'm going to do it for all who believe in him, that death will not be the final word, that they will be resurrected to eternal life. And everyone who is sitting in their rooms tonight have access to that same word. It is a powerful word. It is a word that God speaks that changes and transforms not only dead bodies that have no brain function, but also lives that have become despondent and despairing, lives of confusion and heartache and pain. And the difference between what I do and what God does is this. For everyone who suffers tonight, at best, I can empathize. As a pastor, I have come into people's homes, and I have sat with them, and yes, I have cried with them. Their lives have been tragic, to say the least. I have been overwhelmed by the sense of heartache and pain that they have experienced. I could not even begin to imagine just how their heart is breaking. I can, with every compassionate bone in my body, empathize with their loss, but I cannot change it and I can't transform it, and I can't take them out of their crisis. I cannot reach them where they're at. I have seen people suffering from tremendous depression. I cannot reach them where they're at. I have seen people locked in their own worlds who feel it hard to experience any feelings at all because of the trauma of their life. I cannot reach them there, but I know a person who can. And the same word that Jesus spoke, come forth to Lazarus who was dead, is the same Jesus who speaks into dead lives today, and not just ones that are lying in a grave, but ones that have a living death, who have no life even before the grave. It is that same Jesus with a penetrating word who speaks into their lives and can transform them in a moment. And tonight, I don't care that you're not here, though I would love you to be, but I care where you are, that that's where God will meet you. And I pray that His penetrating Word would reach your mind, your heart, your soul right now, right now where you are, and that you receive the encouragement and love and courage, and faith that you need for Jesus' words, that I did this so that they would believe. 
may become true in your life right now. If there's anything you need tonight, it's the hope that the gospel brings. If there's anything you need tonight, it's to know that his tears were different to ours. And his power is different to mine and to yours. And he speaks into your life. Come forth. And because he does, you will. This man of sorrows truly does become our Savior. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, tonight we pray that you would speak into someone's life. That, Father, you would come and deliver them. That the suffering servant serves the suffering and that they be set free to worship and to praise you. In Jesus' precious name we pray.